Hello, I'm Sophia. I'm in my garden and I hope you can hear the birds. It's finally here, season two of the I Made a Thing podcast. And if you're new, welcome. This project is all about helping those interested in business, in owning their own thing, in creating and doing something different. Figuring out just how you can do it. When I wanted to do something different, I could only find American male role models. So here's something different, made by Australian women, featuring Australian women, and our ideas. My guest today had a big dream. One that she thought would bring her happiness, money, and maybe even fame. But it wasn't until she was on the cusp of, well, success, success as she'd previously defined it, that she realised in fact what she thought she wanted was way off. Hi, I'm Whitney Hartman and I'm a true brow specialist. I have my own brow studio and I specialize in natural brow restoration and design. Thanks, Whitney, and thanks for joining us today on the I Made a Thing podcast. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your journey, which you didn't always know that you were going to be mastering the eyebrow. So I want you to take us back to when you were living in Sydney and the work that you were doing there and what what you kind of thought your career was going to look like. Thank you for having me. And yeah, absolutely. So um, I started off in the beauty industry as a beauty therapist. I had always wanted to be a makeup artist since I was about 16. And I've always been quite a creative personality. Um, so I studied beauty first because after speaking to numerous different makeup artists in the industry, they all advised me to get another trade behind me because back when I was younger, the makeup world just wasn't what it is now. Um, YouTube didn't really exist, um, and there weren't as many opportunities. So I decided to go down the path of, um, beauty therapy. And I loved it so much that I actually put makeup on the back burner for about seven years. So I worked in salons and spas and really enjoyed my time as a beauty therapist. But then I got the calling for, you know, wanting to go back and and look at revisiting the idea of makeup. So that took me over to the United States where I studied under an amazing um, mentor over there. And I chose to specialize in um, print runway and bridal and came back to Australia, moved to Sydney, and I had my eye set on wanting to be a successful makeup artist. So while I was in Sydney, uh, I was doing a lot of different things. I'd be working on photo shoots. I had weddings. I was working a little bit in retail um, for makeup and skincare. I was still also doing a little bit of beauty therapy in the background as well. So my weeks were extremely full. I was kind of dabbling in a lot of different things, wanting to, you know, seize every every opportunity that came my way. And, um, you know, the makeup industry, it's a lot about connecting with people and, and getting, um, getting to know people in the industry. And so that, very much what I was doing in Sydney. I was constantly networking and test shooting and, and putting my hand up for so many different opportunities, which was really great because Sydney is um, a world of opportunities being in a big city. 
so pretty much from there, I, I did lots of different things. And then I decided that it was time to leave the city and I, I moved back to the Gold Coast. And once I got to the Gold Coast, uh, a big shift, lots changed for me. Um, the first thing that happened was I ended up extremely unwell. I got diagnosed with um, adrenal fatigue, which really knocked me around. Um, so I went from, you know, working like crazy in Sydney and doing all these amazing things and really kind of, you know, enhancing all my skills and all of that to moving to the Gold Coast and being stopped in my tracks, literally. So that was extremely tough. Um, and basically from there, I just had to put a lot on hold. Um, before I left Sydney, I was actually looking at like, you know, what else could I do to add to my repertoire of skills? And I came across um, this woman who was teaching natural brow restoration and design. And I saw her portfolio and just thought, wow, like, the results were amazing and at first I was convinced what she was doing had to be tattoo and so I connected with her and I you know, said oh what is it that you're teaching like I is it tattoo like it's amazing like it can't be real and and she said to me no 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 it's it's all real it's natural authentic results and I just thought I've got to learn this like as a makeup artist like brows were just starting to become a big element of makeup. Um, people were becoming more aware of them. You could do a beautiful makeup on someone, but if their brows weren't in a good state, it just didn't um, do the makeup any justice. So I started to become really intrigued by this and thought, you know, I'd love to be able to help people fix their eyebrows. And so from there, I took the plunge and just before I left Sydney, I enrolled in a a course which would give me those skills and teach me those those things and so while I was um, on the Gold Coast and in a pretty bad state with my health you know I just used the time to get my health back on track and you know do this this study and and get this training under my belt and then eventually that led me to having my own little studio where I could do makeup jobs during the week, but then um, also have um, that little eyebrow design business on the side that would just fill up any little gaps in my work week. Before I knew it, that just took off. And I was so busy doing eyebrows that I was struggling to spread myself between going on makeup jobs and also fulfilling the clients that I had in my little studio. So I had to make a decision. I had to decide what am I going to do? At that point, I was spreading myself way too thin. And, you know, my weeks were just all over the shop. And I was feeling quite flustered because I was, you know, trying to do too many things and it was just getting to a point where it was just getting too hard. And so, yeah, I just made this conscious decision to follow my beauty therapy roots 
And I decided that I was just going to hone in on one skill, be good at one thing and specialize. And I chose to do that with eyebrows. And your love for eyebrows and the way that that completes a look or even makes a look, where do you think that started? Was that something that started back in the US when you were training over there or even from when you were younger or from working with beauty clients? Where did that passion for making an absolutely stunning brow come from? I think um, eyebrows was something I think that I was always probably good at in some way. When I used to work in um, beauty salons, I always had a fairly good uh, clientele when it came to eyebrows, but obviously I didn't have the knowledge and expertise that I have now, so I can't really remember what I even used to do. Um, But I definitely think once I studied makeup, I became a lot more aware of the face, um, people's eye shapes, their eyebrows as well, and how an eyebrow can soften a woman's face or how it can dramatically make someone look older if they've got like a more harsh shape or, you know, I think looking at... um, at makeup too, like the training that I actually did was all about um, corrective makeup. So there was a lot to do with creating symmetry with, you know, someone's face where we're not symmetrical, but there were amazing techniques that I learned to create the illusion of symmetry. So I always would look at things like eyebrows after learning those techniques and thinking, well, how can I do that with an eyebrow? And so the missing link was when I actually furthered my training and I actually started to learn those skills through um, the company I I trained through, which was Brow Secrets International. And it was kind of like everything just came together. And so I do think collectively it was a little bit of everything, all the different areas and paths I went down. And as I continued to enhance and build on my skills and my knowledge, I just got more and more excited about what I knew was now possible. You've talked a lot in the past about your love of a transformation. And I know coming out of the 90s, it was really trendy for everyone to pull out as much eyebrow hair as possible, let's be honest. And we've seen a shift back to more of a natural brow and embracing the hair that you have and people want their brows back, but maybe they've had a lot of damage to their brow. Does that really give you that sense of fulfillment when you can say to someone hey I can give you your brow back a hundred percent I see such a change in um, women's confidence when they've had their brow one way for such a long time and they've you know been so unhappy and I mean clients nowadays like I think with platforms like Instagram we have a lot of visual content in front of us so you know women are constantly looking at, at pictures and things and saying, oh, you know, I'd love my my brows to look like that. But, you know, they've been over tweezed for so long. I don't even know if that's possible. And because the beauty industry um, does have some incredible training, but there is a lot that's still very unregulated. And, you know, there needs to be more people trained in um, brow restoration because I think learning how to shape eyebrows, it's, it's not something that you can learn in a weekend workshop. It takes time to really hone in on that skill and master your craft. So 
I think for a lot of um, clients, you know, everyone's had a brow disaster at some point, whether it's come from going in and paying for a service or whether you've taken the tweezers to your own eyebrows and you just don't know what's possible until you've had someone who specializes in design and restoration. And for me, when I was able to kind of sit with a woman and, or a client and really just talk to them about, you know, their brow history and what they'd like to work towards. And a lot of the time you'll have a client come in and go, look, you know, I don't know what you'll be able to do for me that no one else hasn't been able to do. And then you show them and they just are blown away and you see the excitement every single appointment as more hairs coming through and the confidence and how much it changes their their face. It's brows are just they're such a, a beauty statement now. So it makes such a big difference. So it's really fulfilling and rewarding to me when I can, you know, build a woman's confidence through something as simple as just helping them to restore their eyebrows. Yeah, learning and teaching them to love what can actually already be there but is, as you say, has been overplucked or is kind of in hiding because it's been abused for so long. Yeah, definitely. Now, I want to go back a little bit and talk about how you ended up in the US because that's a that's a gutsy move going over there. Can you talk me through what drove you to go to the US and the training that you did over there? Yeah, so um, well, I guess when I was looking at makeup originally, I always knew that I didn't really want to do all the gory stuff, like the special effects and all that. It just didn't interest me. I, I guess that's maybe part of my beauty background. I always wanted to um, make people look and feel good. Um, And, you know, natural beauty had always kind of resonated with me. So when I was actually looking at, like, where would I want to study, um, a lot of the courses in Australia and a lot of the schools, in order for you to be able to um, do all the beautiful stuff, you had to do all components of makeup, such as theatre and special effects. And I just knew that that wasn't for me. So right before I was about to jet set off on some travels around Europe, I'd sort of decided to finish up in the beauty industry, go and travel and really think about what I wanted to do. There was a woman that was traveling out to Australia from the US. Her name was Donna Mee. And she was going to do a talk at a makeup school um, on corrective beauty. And I had done some research on her and thought, oh, wow, you know, I'd really, really love to, to go and see what this woman is all about and what she teaches but unfortunately I was going to be in Europe so I couldn't go so I started just watching her online and um, I saw that she actually had a a school in Southern California and I just thought I want to learn from this woman like she everything that she teaches that is exactly what I want to specialize in and she's the person I want to learn from. So I actually just wrote her an email and said, would you accept an Australian student? I'd really love to come over to your school and, and learn from you. Um, and she got back to me and said, yes, absolutely. So then she ended up sponsoring me. And about nine, 10 months later, I was jumping on a plane to go over and do about seven months of study at her academy. 
So, um, yeah, I, I don't really, it was a pretty bold move. I, I actually still can't believe I actually did it. Um, but yeah, I was her first Aussie student and yeah, it was pretty amazing um, experience and definitely pushed me out of my comfort zone. But the way she taught makeup, it was like it was, there was a science behind it. So she was an incredible teacher and mentor to learn from. I felt very grateful for the opportunity and it definitely set foundations for me for what I'm doing now. And when you're in Sydney, you've come back, you're working there, you thought, this is for me, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to have a lot of fun, obviously, in Sydney. How many years or months was it that you were in Sydney until it got to the point that enough was enough and this lifestyle actually wasn't for you? What kind of, what was the timeline there and then what pushed you over the edge to get back to the Gold Coast? Well, I was down there for about two years. Um, I would say in the last six months of being there, I just started to feel like I was burning out. Um, And so I had lived on the Gold Coast um, in my early 20s and it just felt like I was craving a lifestyle that would allow me to have more work-life balance And I think when you're living in the city, you're very much caught up in the rat race and you're climbing the ladder no matter what industry you're in because that's the the energy in a big city. You know, if you don't take those opportunities, someone else is waiting in the wings to take those. So if you really want to be successful down there, you've got to be open and available to all of the things that you want. So... um, when I moved back to the Gold Coast, it was completely different. And I had a lot of fear in um, moving back to the Gold Coast that I'd actually be taking a big step backwards because uh, when I'd lived here in my early 20s, the Gold Coast was quite a sleepy coastal town. It wasn't what it is now. And so I just thought, oh, you know, am I going to be making a mistake coming back? Because, you know, there's just not going to be the opportunities that I have in the big city. And um, I was pleasantly surprised because there was about a, almost a 10-year gap between when I lived on the Gold Coast previously to when I was moving back. And um, I was amazed at how much had changed, how many new businesses had opened up, but also a lot of creatives um, moving to the Gold Coast that had gone through the same shift as me where they were just burnt out and sick of being in the rat race. And so, you know, they'd made that transition as well and makeup industry had changed a lot by then. Um, There was a lot more work and yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised when I got back up here and, and there was a lot of work going around. And when was it that you actually realized that you had adrenal fatigue, that you realized you were so unwell? Um, It was about two weeks of moving up here. Um, One morning, I just woke up and I just couldn't get out of bed. And I just thought, wow, I must be getting the flu. And then, you know, as the days went on, like I didn't have any flu-like symptoms. I was just utterly exhausted where I'd get up, I'd eat my breakfast. And that would be so exhausting that by nine o'clock, I'd feel like I'd need to go back to bed. And I was just sleeping for like hours and hours and hours and not ever feeling refreshed after sleeping. And I just thought, after a couple of weeks, this is just not normal. Like I would 
go to work and um, I had to cut back my work hours to about 25 hours a week after working, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks down in Sydney. And I thought, wow, I should be feeling re-energized because I'm doing a lot less than what I was doing in Sydney. But it was like my body, as soon as it had an opportunity to slow down, it just realized how tired it was and everything started crashing. And, um, you know, I started going to doctors and things and, you know, I was diagnosed textbook symptoms literally and there was nothing that I could do except for, you know, rest and, and take care of myself. And it was a long journey. It took me about 18 months to kind of really build my body back up to a point where I wasn't waking up every day exhausted and I could actually function again. So you've moved to the Gold Coast and you've had to cut your hours right back. You've got unwell. After that 18 months, was that when you started considering, hey, maybe I should have my own business or do something on the side? hundred percent. It really put me through a big shift because I think getting sick, it made me have to reassess life in a lot of different areas and even down to my values about like, well, what's important to me in life? And I think going through um, being unwell, I, I was about, I think I was about 28, 29. And that was a pretty tough lesson to learn at that age because I think, you know, you just think you're invincible and you can just keep pushing yourself when you're young and you just keep going and you're not always in tune or listening to your body. You're just pushing through. And I think once I crashed and I realized, oh my God, okay, like I can't keep doing this. Um, it put me in like quite a, a dark place for a while where I was feeling very down and I just thought well you know like what am I going to do what's important to me well my health is my wealth like I kind of started having that all those thoughts of like you know is is money really worth putting my health um in jeopardy and what came up was well no it's not obviously we all want success and we all want to be um earning you know good money or enough to like you know be able to live the lifestyle that we want but I guess I had to weigh up, okay, well, at what point am I willing to, you know, what what am I going to jeopardise if I keep pushing myself to that extreme? So I had to start thinking about like, all right, well, how can I work smarter, not harder? Because I know that I can't push myself anymore. And so that's when I started to think about, well, maybe I should push myself out of my comfort zone and start doing some work for myself and, you know, obviously going from being um, employed by someone where you're on a lower hourly rate working for yourself, you're able to, you know, boost your income. Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. And at what point did you actually rent your own space or at what point did you Um, make the, I guess the choice to make that next step of having a location? So that took me a little while. Initially, um, I actually started, I had a a beautiful home and I had a, I was fortunate. I had a big studio at the front of my house. So initially, um, I was able to start what doing brows and having my studio from home, which was really great because it meant that I could just 
transition my way in and, and build my clientele um, from home because I was, I was starting from scratch. And then after about oh, a year and a half, um, I ended up moving into my own studio. By then, I had a pretty good clientele, um, very consistent clientele, which meant I could take that next step and transition and separate my business from home, which was fantastic. So yeah, it was probably about a year and a half. And do you remember how you got your very first client? I think it was literally when I was working, I was working um, in a retail store selling um, skincare and, and makeup. And I I had this beautiful girl one day come in and we were just chatting and she was looking for an eyebrow pencil and we were just chatting about her eyebrows and she was just telling me about, you know, her likes and dislikes with her shape and I was just showing her a few little techniques and she said to me, oh, do you know where I could get my eyebrows shaped? Like, can you recommend anyone? And I just said, oh, I, I, can, I can do that for you and that was kind of it. Like once she came, she started telling her friends and word of mouth um, got out and I started having different women contacting me. So it was amazing. At the beginning, I didn't really even advertise because I only had room to do a certain amount of clients and pretty much my business has been a lot of word of mouth, which has been really amazing. The thing I loved about you Whitney is how professional you are with your services that you provide and you're just so I think on a different level to a lot of other people in your industry in terms of your professionalism and I think also how seriously you take your training and knowledge and it's really evident your passion coming through from that however you did have a bit of a moment where you weren't quite sure what you were going to do. And I, I, wanted, I want you to talk about the time that someone quite famous needed their makeup doing. <laughs> can you share with us that story? <laughs> I can, I can. So um, before I decided to make the conscious decision to specialise and just hone in on one particular skill, which was my my brows. Um, I had a very big, I guess, inner conflict. I'd had this vision of myself ever since I was young that I wanted to be this successful makeup artist. I wanted to do editorial runway. Like I just, I had that image of that's what I want. And when I moved up from Sydney, I started working with an incredible makeup artist and through her, I had some amazing opportunities and I finally had kind of started to feel like okay like this is what I wanted I'm doing all these incredible jobs um but there was just something in me that while I was doing it and I think maybe going through that shift of being unwell and other things that had happened in the lead up to that time that once I was actually doing all the things that I thought I wanted to do I didn't feel content and I couldn't figure out why and I was having a lot of like inner, inner conflict, like, you know, I'm getting these amazing opportunities. I know other girls that would kill for these opportunities, but I don't feel happy and I don't feel content and I don't actually know why that is. And so, you know, I was really 
being quite hard on myself. It was about a six month period where I was just really struggling with it all. And, you know, my brow business was building and um, I just got to a point where I had to just say to myself, all right, like, what do I want? And I decided that I wanted to go down the path of brows and just put all my energy into that and really build that. And as soon as I made that conscious decision, I thought I'm going to fulfill all the weddings that I have. I'm not going to take on any more makeup jobs. And part of it was true. I was getting called for jobs, but I'd already be fully booked with brow clients. And, you know, it was just, I had to keep saying no. And so I just thought, okay, like this doesn't look good. I'm never available. Like it's annoying for the people that are contacting me and I'm constantly saying no. So I decided that's it. No more makeup. I've just got to be specialized. As soon as I made that conscious decision, I got a phone call um, asking if I wanted to do makeup for Amy Shark's documentary that was being filmed on the Gold Coast. And I literally had the three most solid days of brows booked, um, the busiest that I had been, and her documentary fell on those three days. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, Amy Shark. I'd really love to do that. Wouldn't that be so cool? I'd love to meet her. But I had to say no. It was like the universe was dangling a carrot in my face saying, are you sure you really want to stop doing makeup? Is this the right decision? And, you know, I had to see it for a carrot and go, no, I've got to stick to what I, I've decided. I've got to pass this opportunity on and yeah, fulfill what I know I really want to be doing. And, it was really hard. <laughs> I love that story though. <laughs> and, and for me, that really encapsulates your professionalism and, and the dedication to your craft too and, and the care that you have for your clientele. Now, recently with the virus, I know it was really difficult decision for you to shut. Can you talk to us a little bit about that decision and how you felt when you made that decision? Yeah, it's definitely been um, very strange times. But um, yeah, I think the beauty industry, because you're in such a, a hands-on environment and high contact with people, um, it's a double-edged sword because when all this first was sort of happening, I didn't actually take it too seriously because it was happening in China. I hadn't heard of it happening in Australia. And then within a matter of like, you know, a couple of weeks, um, we're now finding out there's cases in Australia. And so, you know, I was taking all the precautions that I possibly could in the studio, being as sanitary as I could. But um, the reality is, as things were getting worse, there's only so much that you can, can do. Because I mean, I have to touch people in order to be able to do their eyebrows. And so, um, yeah, I went through all the emotions of like, you know, fear, being like scared, well, okay, like I don't want to pass this on, but I also don't want to get sick. Um, what am I going to do? Like if I have to close down my business, how long is this going to be for? Um, so there was about a week where I was just kind of up and down with all the emotions and then I just got this strong feeling of like, no, the best thing to do is to actually actually close down the doors for the safety of me and everyone else. Um, and so I'd already come to that conclusion before the government had actually said the beauty industry had to close down. So it was quite strange. I'd 
put out there and told everyone what my last day was going to be. And then literally 48 hours before I was closing, the government announced that the beauty industry had to close. So I must have had a sixth sense. It was coming very soon. And um, yeah, look, it was very hard. My last week of business was extremely busy and, you know, it was hard kind of shutting the doors down, knowing I have no idea when I'm going to be able to come back um, because, you know, everyone's living in limbo right now. So it's kind of like having to stay really present, just taking each day as it comes. And in a normal situation where you would take time off work, you always like can plan that and you sort of go, okay, well, I'm going to take two weeks off. This is when I'm going to be closing. This is when I'll be reopening. And right now I I have no idea when that will be. So yeah, it's a very interesting place to be in right now for a lot of people. Now something really exciting has started to happen for you in the last few months. I want you to talk us about your new business venture. Yeah, so um, I am going to be, well, I'm not going to be, I am. I've had um, a friend of mine uh, approach me to do some work with her. Um, We are going to be starting an online business. Um, So that's very, very exciting. So I suppose during this time, Um, It has given me a little bit of a purpose and being closed in the studio has also, I guess, given me the space to work on this new project. Um, So, yeah, it's it's exciting times. There's a lot, I guess, going into this right now. Um, It's going to be within retail. Um, We're creating a product. Uh, so yeah, just have to stay tuned to see what that oh, is. So excited! <laughs> <laughs> and how is it this? Which I, I mean, I sort of consider this your second time round with uh, quite a big business. How does it feel this second time round creating something? Has it been easier, or because it's product based, has it been? just a whole new set of challenges. Yeah, look, it's definitely challenging because it's something that I haven't done before. And to be honest, it wasn't something that would even have been on my radar. It was just that um, this friend of mine who's now my business partner, she'd had experience with this before and she came to me with an idea last year actually and asked me if I wanted to be involved. And um, she's got strengths where I don't and I've got strengths where she doesn't. So we kind of complement each other really well. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to take the plunge and, and see where this leads me. Um, it could be a nice little sideline income for me um, while I'm, you know, so I'm not in the, stu- like in the studio full time. Like I can kind of do a little bit of both. And, yeah, once it's set up, it should be a nice little momentum but I mean I never foresaw that something like this was going to happen so it's quite interesting how 2020 is looking now like with having to physically close down my other business having this in the pipeline has given me a little bit of a, a purpose during this time but also something to kind of look forward to and something to work towards um, especially not knowing when I'll be able to go back into the studio that if I can get this um, this product launched between, you know, now and the time that I go up, 
uh, go back to work and the studio, then, you know, um, if things are a little bit slow because of the way the economy is at the moment, then, you know, that's a nice little extra for me. And, yeah, it's just pushing me out of my comfort zone again. Like I feel like we're all being pushed at the moment, but this is um, a new challenge for me and it's also something to put my creative energy into. So um, it's been really good. Now you're one of the, I would say, rare soul traders who really invest not only in the knowledge of their craft but also in the knowledge for the business and running the business what advice would you give to someone starting out in terms of the things that they really need to understand when they're first starting the business and and who they should be seeking help from? Definitely a business coach like yourself. (laughs) When I, (laughs) when I met you, when I met you, I, my business was a bit of a mess. Um, So I think that um for me when I first studied beauty therapy business was such a small component of the actual course that I did and you know um technology just wasn't what it is now now like everything's just changed so much with software technology and um booking systems and all these things that you can now have as a a salon owner like back in the day we used to just use um a a book and we used to just pencil in people's appointments and rub them out if they cancelled like it was a very old school method of doing things but now we have you know computers and ipads and all these amazing systems in place that we have access to that makes life a lot easier but i think a, a big part of it is sometimes when you're in your own business and you're doing everything yourself your marketing the actual service everything you don't always know what's available to you and um, I think it's really good to have someone come into your business with fresh eyes and look at what you're doing and be able to make some suggestions on what you can do to make your life easier and what programs are out there for you even like setting up your bank accounts properly that was something that you helped me with you know so tax time's a lot easier and just all those little things that if you've never been taught by anyone or you know, you don't have a background in um, that aspect of business. It's it's amazing to have someone to kind of help you with that. Now, social media, particularly Instagram, has played quite a big role in your marketing for the business. Where do you see that in the future for your business? Do you feel like you're going to keep investing in that space, particularly if it looks like the beauty industry is going to be shut down for a while? Yeah, look, I think um, Instagram is such an incredible tool. Like I I think it's um, a great platform from the sense of if you're in a creative industry, it gives you an opportunity to showcase your work so potential clients can go and see what it is that you do. And um, if they align with that or they like the results they're seeing, they'll then, you know, convert into a client for you. Um, I think that right now, like I definitely am still going to invest time into Instagram, but it's just, I guess everyone in the beauty industry is really in limbo with it. Like the people that can kind of work right now are hairdressers, but as far as like, 
you know, um, anyone else in the beauty industry, everything is kind of on hold and just not knowing how long that's going to go for. Like, I think it's still important to engage with your, your clients and your, your audience. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a funny time. I'm definitely still going to put time and energy into it. Um, but yeah, I think until we know what's going to happen, I think it'll be exciting to make the announcement that I'll be opening my doors eventually, whenever that will be. Very, very exciting. I can't wait for that day. So if people want to keep in touch with you and see when that day is, how can they find you? Well, um, I, I'm very much on Instagram quite a lot. Like people can connect with me through my Instagram page at Whitney Hartman. Um, you know, all my details are on there. If, if you want to send me a message, people can contact me by phone call, email. I also have um, a business Facebook page you can contact me on at Whitney Hartman. So, yeah, um, any social media platforms or directly by phone or email if, if you like. Um, yeah. And what's your final brow advice for everyone in isolation? <laughs> this is a tricky one. Um, I've been racking my brain thinking, should I be putting bra tips online about, you know, how to take care of your brows in isolation? It's difficult because um, shaping your own eyebrows is, is not easy. I guess my best word of advice is to maybe just pluck your monobrow. <laughs> Remember not to remove those beautiful fan hairs at the front of your brows because that is what gives your brow softness and character. And a lot of people tend to just rip those hairs out, which can very much shorten your brow. Um, and if you're really desperate, I suppose you can pluck hair underneath, but just don't go too close to your shape. I feel like the 2020 eyebrow is basically the undone brow look. That's going to be the trend for 2020. Yeah. And maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe just cut yourself some slack. Maybe just put some extra moisturizer on your brows. Just uh, give them some love. Hey. <laughs> Definitely. I think the key is to practice social distancing from your tweezers. We don't want you going in and over tweezing them. I think if you've been unhappy with your brows, it's a really good opportunity while you're stuck in isolation at home to just grow your eyebrows out and almost like have the attitude of like, I'm going to start again. Look for, use this time to really do your research and find an amazing brow artist in your location. Um, if you want to find someone like me um, who does uh, True Brow, you can contact Truebrow or go on to their directory to see if there's an artist close to you who does restoration and design. Um, and I guess I see it as in like, you know, if you had this opportunity to grow your brows out and you find someone really amazing when this is all over to um, help you redesign your brows, it'll all be worth it. Love it. Ah, oh, there's so many silver linings to isolation. <laughs> I think so. I think this is a thing like we have to find silver linings right now and stay in a relatively positive state of mind. Otherwise, you know, you don't want to go down that other path. And right now the whole world is being affected by this. We're not, you know, we're not in it on our own. So I think having that um, 
attitude of like, you know, we're all in this together. It's very much a time where people can't make too many plans for the future and it's a time where we're being forced to be very present in the moment, which most of us don't practice because, you know, in a normal circumstance, you know, you're always planning ahead of time. So I think it's kind of a a good thing in one way, um, learning how to be present in the moment and appreciating the the little things. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I love that. That's so nice. I've got this big (laughs) smile on my face, Whitney. That's beautiful. (laughs) Uh, Look, don't get me wrong. I will be excited to go back to work and reopen my doors and, and know when I can start planning. But I guess that's the way I'm choosing to, I guess, be during this time frame because I think if if you're any other way, it's you'd start to get a little bit down and out and, you know, that's not a good way to be either. Yeah, and who knows, we might not have made this time this soon to have this chat, which I have thoroughly enjoyed. Thank you so much for your time. That's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Find out more about the I Made a Thing podcast by heading to the website at imadeathingpodcast.com. There you can listen to all previous episodes, read the show notes and access any resources and further reading. 